Welcome to This Is Influence. It's a show about how B2B brands and execs can become more influential. My extra special guest this week is Alison Klein, who currently holds a key position at Arena Marketing. They are leading the charge in the tech industry, providing strategic counsel to both mighty tech behemoths and really spirited startups. Alison has been in the trenches of global communications and marketing, serving as a VP of marketing for Micron, the multi-billion dollar chip manufacturer, and spending over two impressive decades in various senior roles within Intel. These experiences have really shaped her and given her a unique lens with which to view influence and the dynamics within really, really large corporations. And we talk about everything from the essence of outstanding career development in multinational organizations, how to increase your influence, even up to the CEO level, the lessons Alison picked up during her remarkable tech industry journey. We go deep into the weeds about her expertise in growing technology businesses of all sizes. We talk about the art of great positioning, a skill that Alison has really honed while navigating her journey from the client side to now where she is at Arena Marketing on the agency side. It's just an absolutely fascinating conversation. If you're even slightly interested in any of that stuff, then you're going to love this conversation. So this is old, this is new, this is influence. Alison Klein, welcome to This Is Influence. Thank you so much, Nathan. It's great to be here with you today. Alison, I've been super excited to have this conversation with you for a number of reasons. Um, number one, you've had a very successful career in the technology industry for over two decades now. You've been promoted to the highest levels of marketing leadership within both Intel and Micron. What have you learned about how to grow your influence internally and progress up the corporate ladder in the way that you have? You know, I think that you, you talked about my background. I spent 23 years at Intel. And what I learned is growth and influence is not a linear path. Coming into Intel, my first job was at Inside Sales. I wanted to get into marketing. I got into marketing and, um, you know, took a circuitous path to where I left, which is general manager of data center and edge marketing for Intel before I left for Micron. Um, I think that what I learned was that influence comes in a number of ways. It comes from, especially in a large organization, it comes from developing peer relationships and investing in development of a network. It comes from understanding that um, opportunities are sometimes handed to you that you don't think are your linear path forward, but you should take them and explore them if um, you know they fill you with energy and they can take you in really interesting directions. Um, you know, an example is my podcast at Intel. I started podcasting in 2009 when nobody knew podcast existed. And I think that that was not something that I thought was going to be a career projection for me, but here I am with my own marketing agency and my own media platform podcasting once again. And it's just a really um, natural place of passion for me. And then I think that finally it's always investing in learning, always investing in thinking about what you bring to the table and where your um, opportunities for growth are and accepting the vulnerability of building influence through continued growth. 
You said something a moment ago that was really important around developing peer relationships. Could you just spend a little bit of time kind of unpacking that for our audience? What what are the, the dimensions of developing peer relationships that were more important for you in building your career? How much time in your week <laughs> was mm-hmm. devoted to developing peer relationships? What did that look like? And um, just some practical insights around that, because I think it's, it's something that people mention a lot, but just to add some color around kind of what that looked like for you, uh, I think it'd be super fascinating to unpack. You know, I think that what I would say, and when I when I said that, it sounded a little bit transactional, and I don't mean it that way. I think that we spend more time with people that we work with in our own families. And having authentic engagement with your coworkers, where you develop trust and develop appreciation for what others bring to the table, is really important. I think that how do you do that? It's a lot of inquiry, I think. I think it's um, talking to them about what they're trying to accomplish, understanding where their career trajectories are going, figuring out how you can be um, a peer advocate for them, um, taking the time to have conversations with folks about you know, when, when things are aligning, how you can achieve more together when things are in conflict, where are the commonalities that you can lean into and and really set up a culture of thriving and just developing that over time. When you, when you have success with peers, when you have challenges with peers, it's an opportunity to build that strength and depth of relationship. And I think that will propel you forward with influence, right? I mean, it, it's very common sense and it's human that when you're engaging with someone who you trust, you're going to be open to being more vulnerable. You're going to be open to being more communicative about the challenges you're facing. And that's going to make your work engagement better, richer, more rewarding. And ultimately, it will provide more value um, from a standpoint of what the actual output is. What defines a great career in a large multinational organization? I'm, I'm going to give you some guide rails to help you kind of answer, answer the question. Is it, is, it, is it money? Is it learning? Is it rate of progression in the organization? What, what to you defines a great career in a large multinational? You know, that's funny because if you asked this question of me 10 years ago, I would have given a completely different answer. <laughs> and, and my answer is one in which I made a decision to move away from being part of a multinational culture into building my own business. And I think that what defines a great career is the opportunity to learn at a scale and scope that you can't get in other businesses. You know, I was working with companies that literally operated all over the planet. The products were going in every single country in the planet and um, engaging with customers all over. And that's something that if I wasn't engaging in a multinational leader, I would not have had the opportunity to do. So I think that learning and engaging and thinking about that scale is one thing. The other is the people. You know, you, you... you talked about how'd you get this person on my podcast? You know, it's, it's developing a network of friends and colleagues um, 
that form a very rich work environment for you, whether you're working alongside them or in collaborators as, you know, peer companies or, you know, as clients. And I think that that's a really important thing um, that you get an opportunity to do at a multinational company, especially the companies that I worked for, which attract just such bright, amazing people that are just bringing such incredible um, perspectives to the work and to the opportunity to grow. What have you learned specifically about growing your influence with other execs, um, on either on the board or the CEO specifically? And I say the word influence. I mean, we could take out the word influence and swap that with brand, trust, credibility, all of those sorts of words. Mm-hmm. What have you learned specifically about building influence and trust and credibility with the CEO and other members of your, um, of the exec suite? You know, I think that one of the things that I think about a lot with that, you know, I've led executive communications teams. I've, you know, led major product launches that will define executive career trajectories. So they care. Um, and I think that one of the things that I think about is really good perspective, on what they're carrying on their shoulders, the responsibility of managing a business or managing a P&L, having that commitment to customers, having that commitment to employees, and that I am but one person of many people asking of their time and attention on that given day. And so you need to show up with urgency, with preparedness, um, with the ability to follow through and with economy of words, I think is another important <laughs> one. I love that um, economy of words. You know, and I think that building trust amongst executives is based on results. You know, if, if you can show that you can deliver results that aligns with their objectives and, you know, their executives, because they're very single minded on their objectives, um, you can build that trust and that um, tighter relationship. And, and that's something that, um, you know, I, I think that is always something that you have to you know, kind of tread carefully to figure out the right way to engage with, with folks who are in these leadership positions to figure out what are the things that they absolutely need and then prioritizing those. Throughout your career, you've been an expert at marketing new technologies coming to the market and even creating new categories. What have you learned over the years about how to do that well? What are the dimensions of bringing a new technology or service offering to the market, finding great positioning, finding a great go-to-market plan, and then executing well? What have you learned about how to do that well? You know, I think that one of the things that I'd start with is when you work for a company that invents a tremendous amount of technologies, there is um, kind of sifting through what are the technologies that were invented because a technologist thought about it and just invented it? And where are the technologies that are actually serving a market need? And there are both that will come up. And I think that that's your starting point. Your starting point is, does this technology actually address a need in the market? Or is it so disruptive that it will create a need in the market? Or are we, in its introduction, are we pushing rope? And that really sets your entire strategy. So, you know, what is the, what is the challenge you're solving? 
how do you align an industry around that? That takes a really good understanding of the value chain. Who will benefit from working with you to deliver that technology? Are there needs for standards in play that you need to align an entire industry? Or is this something you can bring out yourself or with a few other companies? That's something to think through. And then how much education do you need to do on that technology before it enters the marketplace? How hard is this going to be to understand? And who do you need to educate and how? That sets up an entire marketing strategy. And, you know, you're going to be pulling, I think about it as pulling on different levers where you're looking at, you know, executive voices, you're looking at getting technologists out and, and talking about what they've created. You're looking at demonstrating technology and showing off the core capabilities versus what's come before. I think ChatGPT is a great example of this, right? Absolutely transformed our thinking about what AI and generative AI can do for us. And ChatGTP4 just came out. So, um, you know, it's going to be amazing to see the acceleration of innovation waves with AI, because that's what we're seeing, right? I mean, the ChatGPT is the fastest growing application ever. Um, we've seen that trend with, you know, the speed of Facebook versus TikTok, for example. We've seen the trend of technology transformation um, growing more rapidly. Um, that means marketers have to be smarter. They need to know, do they have the next chat GPT or do they have something that is more modest and what, what to apply um, to that marketing mix? All those levers you can pull. How long of a runway do you need? How long of a runway can you afford before competition will catch up with you? That's what goes into our marketing strategy. And, and sometimes it's not very obvious to see what sort of market opportunity you have with new technology. Take chat GPT, you know, for example, it may be that the second and third and fourth order consequences of of, of what this technology enables are very hard to foresee f for marketers right now. You would assume that a lot of disruptive technologies do have a, an early market, but sometimes it's not obvious to understand like who your customer is or your main stakeholders are at the very early stages. But as the technology develops and as the market develops and as competitors enter the space, then maybe those second and third order, order consequences begin to emerge. Yeah, you know, I think that we're at this precipice of an AI era. Um, you know, I think we've been in the internet era, right? And you can say that the cloud era is part of the internet era, but it's kind of, you know, digital services. I think the AI era will redefine every industry. And this is just a little glimpse of what's coming. Um, and you can see the speed of innovation. This what's coming is going to come fast. Um, I think that for marketers, you know, other than the fact that we may be disrupted ourselves, um, I've written about, you know, will, will I as a writer, you know, who's primarily a words person, if you want to think about it that way, still have relevance um, in, in an era of generative AI? Um, and I think I do, but, you know, maybe not for the same reasons that I did before. I think that one of the things that we need to remember is that innovation fueled by AI is human plus AI innovation. And we are at 
the the wheel in terms of understanding how or you know having the opportunity to understand how to actually adopt and implement it to our advantage. This is just one of the most powerful tools we've ever been handed. And to figure out how to actually implement that is going to be the top priority for organizations in the in the next 5 years. The implications across the marketing landscape are immense. Not just from a standpoint of content creation, but you think about digital, you think about um, content amplification, you think about everything that we think about from a marketing and communications lens, and it needs to be rethought as these tools become more mainstream and and get implemented in organizations. And I think the the other important thing is, um, you know, we're going a little off topic, but I think that those companies that don't lean into this will be disrupted. You know, they're, they're not going to have the competitive tools of their counterparts. And this, that's why this is such an urgent priority for organizations to get their heads around. And it's coming straight at marketing. What have you learned about great positioning for technology products? I mean, great positioning is, is one of those things whereby if you get it right, it can make products fly off a shelf pretty quickly. It can even make poor performing salespeople look like they're wonderful salespeople sometimes, especially in technology where the market is, is as crowded as it is and new entrants are coming into the marketplace all the time. What have you learned about getting positioning for disruptive technology products right? I think that there's two things. One is the tech industry has a horrible habit of talking inside baseball at people and and talking about um, things as if everybody was an engineer. Um, and I think that that is not good positioning. I also think that the tech industry loves to talk about how they're awesome. <laughs> and um, outside of the tech industry, nobody cares that they're awesome. <laughs> so that defines by default what I think is good positioning, which is really understanding the customer. What does the customer need? What are the pain points? And translating in simple terms why the technology that is being delivered helps address that pain point. You know, I think that I worked with a lot of semiconductor architects in my past who are some of the smartest people on the planet, right? They're creating these crazy complex machines. Um, But the ones that were the smartest were able to tell me in plain words exactly what that microprocessor advancement is going to do for an individual or a company who is trying to solve a problem. So it's, it's specific, it's plain speak, it's oriented in the customer and it talks about impact. You know, it talks about a future vision that is something that is undeniably, um, attractive. (laughs) And I think that that's it in a nutshell. You know, if you can create a future vision and, you know, I I hate to go back to Steve Jobs and the the iPod, but we still haven't seen a better example. (laughs) Um, A future vision that is so undeniably attractive that everyone stops and says, oh my God, you are awesome. This is something I want. I I didn't even know I wanted this and I want it. That is something that is good positioning and it's it's a good way to make sure that a technology ramps quickly. And then of course, after 
great positioning, you need to generate leads. Um, you need to generate demand for your for your product or service. What, what have you learned about how how to do that well? How to go to market with with great positioning? Well, it's an interesting challenge, and you know, I, I think that the landscape on lead gen has changed. You know, I think that. You know, I, I, I hate to say that I'm old enough, but I remember when direct mail was a big part of our strategy, right? You know, flyers sent to people. Um, but I think that understanding that people are following brands, they're following brands through a lot of different social platforms. They're getting their information from their peers. They're not going to a, a company website to find out what they want to buy as much as they're looking at what influencers are writing about in terms of their recommendations. Um, we need to approach lead gen from a completely different perspective. And then, you know, in the, in the enterprise space, I think that account-based marketing is really important, really understanding who you're after at a micro-targeted perspective and making sure that they are so well aware of you and what you bring to the table and um, not just your products, your people, you know, you need to bring out what your brand stands for, who the people are behind that brand, what is their expertise. Um, that's really critical. And it can't just be the CEO. It needs to be people who are actually developing the products, who are, you know, crafting the next generation of technology. You need to give give them an opportunity to engage and feel like they're part of a community that is associated with this brand. You mentioned ABM. Uh, you've seen the marketing landscape change so much since you, you started your career. Talk a little bit about the different strategies that have evolved in B2B specifically as, as it relates to growing brand and generating leads. You know, there's everything from ABM uh, there's a lot of talk around emotion and creativity and brand building these days, uh, you know, B2B advertising. Talk a little bit about uh, sort of the different approaches to driving demand and building and building uh, a brand in B2B. And what's your approach to thinking about how to leverage these for your clients now, um, now that we're now that you're at Arena Marketing? Yeah, I think that I'm a I'm a huge believer in bringing out branding messages that talk to the whole person. We as humans consume information from our head, heart, and gut. And, you know, you're talking about emotional. I think that's so important. Um, brands forever have been talking so analytically, especially in the tech space, right? Because it is kind of analytical. Um, but we've forgotten how to engage people or we're afraid to engage people from an emotional or a gut level perspective and remembering that whether you're talking to an individual consumer or one of the largest cloud providers on the planet, you're talking to a human who has feelings, who has fears, um, you know, who has things that keep them up at night. These are things that are important to think about in terms of building brand. Do you understand me? You know, like it, just think about yourself as a consumer. Is if a brand understands you, if they get what how you really tick, what you're really worried about, why you're reaching out to them as a potential product or service, um, that's kind of what 
where people are at today, right? They want to be seen and understood and individuated and not treated as if um, a billboard is going to equally resonate with them as, as other people. So being individuated, really understanding your market segmentation and your per- customer personas, all of those things are really important. But then it gets back to something that we started the conversation with, Nathan, it's authenticity. You know, y- you can't manipulate in these situations. You got to come up with authentic messages that are going to resonate with your customers and really deliver to what those promises you are making about solving their problems and not yours around making profit. You're on the other side of the fence now. Uh, you're a principal at Arena Marketing. Maybe you can talk a little bit about um, about them and kind of why you made the switch actually to uh, agency side um, and what that challenge is like um, now that I assume that you just enjoy stress and being in <laughs> stressful situations, uh, running your own business and, and running an agency. Um, Talk a little bit about why you made that switch. What's it like being now on the other side of, of that equation, being an agency, uh, working with clients? And, and what have you learned from that experience so far? Well, I always knew I wanted to do my own thing. I come from a family of entrepreneurs. I was raised to be an entrepreneur, so I think it was time. But all kidding aside, I think that I knew that I had learned a tremendous amount in the corporate world. And maybe my value was extending those learnings over multiple companies rather than being dedicated to just one. I thought that was a really good opportunity for me. And it's been fantastic. I, I started the company last September and, and took um, you know my, my efforts public in uh, November. Part of that was deciding that I wanted to have a tech influencer platform. And, you know, I've always engaged with tech influencers since tech influencers started being a thing. And I thought there was a space for my voice within the data center to edge um, arena. I've, I've uh, done a lot of content production through my voice in the past and um, wanted to have an independent voice for that, working with multiple brands and wanted to, you know, do a couple things with that. One is have a place where folks could get a little bit more detailed about the why behind the technologies that they're innovating. So it fits really well into the messaging and positioning stuff, right? Like what, what is the reason um, for some of these technology introductions and what are they trying to solve? What is coming next? What gets them excited about this? And I think that that would be indicative of what you, you hear in the interviews. I think the other thing is um, building a platform that brings um, the full scope of voices to the table. Um, I think that there's just been a lot of um, selective voices that get represented out in the media, and you know it's always the you know the top executive or whatever. But um, I want to have folks who may not be. Um, getting their fair share of attention on the channel, whether that's, you know, because they're in the wrong role or, you know, know, they're female and it's difficult to get that traction or, you know, they're coming from a different part of the world or, you know, they're, they're 
you know, whoever, you know, whatever the vector is, um, I'm trying to have a more inclusive dialogue about technology innovation. And I've loved the guest lineups thus far. I think that it's been really exciting. And you're right. It's a combination of tech titans and scrappy startups. And, um, you know, the, the scrappy startups are probably my favorite thing to do uh, on Tech Arena. They're such interesting stories. Um, as an example, I just had Urban Machine on the show, and um, Urban Machine is a company that has combined AI and robotics um, to deliver an opportunity to take salvage lumber out of deconstruction of buildings and put that back into new construction of buildings. When you consider the construction debris makes up 25% of our landfills, it's kind of a big deal. Um, and they just won um, South by Southwest pitch fest uh, last weekend. So they're doing well. Yeah, uh, definitely somebody to check out. But the the technology that they're using is so ridiculously cool. Um, And I think it's going to gain a lot of traction. Alison, final question. This is my new favorite closing question that we're asking all of our guests. I hope you've had a chance to look at it and prepare an answer. But we're at a nice restaurant, a restaurant of your choosing. You can choose what restaurant that is. Do you have a favorite restaurant? I do. It's actually in your city. It's Andrew Edmonds in Soho. Andrew Edmonds in Soho. I haven't been there, but I have to check it out. Okay. Yeah. So, so we're there. You can bring three people of your choosing, living or dead, to make you smarter or increase your performance in some way, shape or form. Which three people do you bring? No, that's so hard. I'm going to go with three women. I'm going to go with uh, Michelle Obama. Um, I think I'm going to go with Eleanor Roosevelt. Oh, wow. And I'm going to go with, um, gosh, this is hard. Virginia Woolf. Virginia Woolf. Mm-hmm. What a murderous row. <laughs> what, a, <laughs> what a table that is. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you have managed to get all three of them there? I mean, if, just to be a fly on that wall. To be honest, uh, about uh-huh. the conversations off, off the back of that, I think would be super fascinating. What would yeah. you like to go on? There is a common theme. <laughs> I think that they bring great perspective and what it's like to be amazing when they're also dealing with being othered. And mm. and I think that they they all lived lives that um, you know created, and obviously Michelle is still living this life, created um such inspiration, um, for other people that have come since them. So I think that would be an amazing conversation at Andrew, Andrew Edmonds in London. Great choice. Great choice of restaurant as well. Um, I'll have to, I'll have to check it out. It sounds super fascinating. Alison, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. This is Influence as a production of Bridge Growth, the B2B technology influencer agency. I could not produce this show without our crack staff here at Bridge. Tyler Baller is our booker. Christoph Buaszczyk is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to This Is Influence. <laughs>